We are finishing up a series called Next Gen. Everybody say Next Gen. You can do better than I say Next Gen. And we've been talking about this generational thing and our heart and our, our, our purpose and our desire with this um, series was that we could um, really turn our attention to the generations and begin to really merge together. Here at Hill City, we're a multi-racial church, but we're also a multi-generational church. And, um, and so people are wowed. Every time they come, they're like, wow, look at that. You're like one-third black folk, one-third white folk, one-third Hispanic folk. you got these Asian people who are taking over. This is magnificent. And, uh, and then you got all these generations blended in. So it's real fun as we've been going through and saying, which of you are boomers? It's just been amazing from my position here having you shout back as you identified you know, your age bracket to see how blended we are. It's just magnificent. And we've had a key scripture through this whole time. And I want to bring you back to it. This has been our scripture for the entire series. It's found in Psalm 71 and verse 17. And the psalmist said it like this, Oh God, you have taught me. From my earliest childhood. And I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. Your mighty miracles to all those who come after me. I love that the psalmist said, you know, when I, since I was a kid, you came into my life. And it's been one miraculous day after another. How many of you would testify that since you were a kid, God has been good to you? Come on, somebody. And, uh, and this is what the psalmist is saying. And he said, and I've always gone around telling everybody, you need to serve the Lord God. The creator of heaven and earth wants a relationship with you. And he says, I've done that over and over again. He goes, but now that I'm old and gray, I'm recognizing there's a brand new generation that doesn't know you. And Lord, give me a few more years. Give me a little bit more time so that I can go and proclaim to them. And so in this series, we've just been studying how we can come together as generations. And in that, I think probably you've, you, if you've had a more of an awakening that we really are different. We really are. We really are, at times, speaking a different language. And so you talk age brackets, then you add in cultural differences, and re it, it really is a miracle that any of us ever get alone. I'm telling you right now, it's just supernatural. And we've made a commitment that we would actually do a little bit better in the years to come at caring for the generation that may be below us, that's a little younger than us, or maybe the person that may be older than us, but are a little younger in the things of God. We've made a commitment over the last two weeks to really say, you know what, I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to invest in the other generation. And, and the difference have been unbelievable. In fact, if you wouldn't mind, could I grab three minutes of your time? And I found a guy who was talking about a little bit different how he grew up. He's probably a boomer if I had to guess. And it just made me giggle. And I thought, you know what? Everybody on Memorial Day needs to have a little bit more giggle in their life. And so could I play this footage for you? Would that be all right? Just kind of showing a little bit how different we are in the generations. Play that for him. We all did dumb things. That's how you learn not to do dumb things. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said suffering was God's megaphone. That's right. You do dumb things, it hurts, and then you learn not to do it. But we're the most painted verses. I, and we, I'll give you an example. When I was 12, someone told me to get a ball jar, a canning jar. Find some dry ice, put it in the jar, put the lid on it. So I said, what's going to happen? They said, it's going to blow up. And I said, cool. <laughs> Where do I get dry ice at? And they said, the ice cream man. So one day I heard the ice cream man coming down my street. I run out with one of my mother's canning jars, and I asked, you got any dry ice? He said, what you going to do with it? I said, I'm going to put it in this jar, I'm going to put the lid on it, and it's going to explode. Ice cream man says, oh, here's your dry ice. <laughs> That's the America I grew up in. Yes. 
and of course, that night, my mother was at our kitchen table picking shards of glass out of my forehead. <laughs> and my father came walking in. How'd that happen? Someone told me you put your ice in a ball jar, it'll, it'll, it'll blow up. <laughs> so knowing that, you were just staring at that jar, waiting for it to blow right up in your face. Yep. <laughs> what am I raising, a moron? <laughs> Could see why you'd think that. I never did it again, because that had been really dumb. That's how you learn. <laughs> my nephew's coming by. This poor kid's 11 years old. I look at him, where's he going? My sister said rollerblading. I thought he was going to disarm a nuclear device. <laughs> poor kid looked like the Michelin man. Foam, rubber, plastic everywhere. She says, I don't want him to get hurt. I said, hurt? He could take a semi at 80 miles an hour in that outfit. <laughs> Falling on concrete is supposed to hurt. See, that's your incentive to learn to stay upright on the rollerblades. They've ruined everything. Playgrounds. I took my granddaughter to a playground. What happened to playgrounds? The slide is five feet high, made out of plastic. She would go four inches and stop, four inches and stop, four inches and stop. That's not a slide, it's a scoot. Wee papa, wee papa, wee papa, wee papa. What did we have? We had a six-story high solid steel structure. About mid-July. Mid-July would hit a temperature of about 285 degrees. You lose two layers of skin on the way down. Another layer when you hit the ground like a flat rock on a pond. <laughs> Come back picking gravel out of your thighs. Yeah! Now it's wee papa, wee papa, wee papa. I wanted to shove her down the slide. I did. I wanted to shove her so she'd know what an exhilarating feeling of sliding. And I felt six iPhones on my back. Go ahead, old man. We dare you. Yeah, go on, give it up for Al. <laughs> oh, that guy's a trip. But he does make a good point how different we are and how different we all grew up and how we even value th things differently and how probably many times we're speaking a totally different language. But I want to point out to you that in the Holy Scriptures, and that's, this is kind of going to be the theme today of today's message, and there is a, there is a generational favor when we as a family serve God together. There's a supernatural generational favor when our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren know the things of God, when they have been taught the things of God. And so with that being said, I want to prove that to you in Psalms 103. And we're kind of, I want you to see the generational power of connectivity. There's been a lot of talk about generational wealth. In other words, that your mom and dad had money, and so that set you up to be able to have money, and that set you, your kids to, be, uh, to have money. And then folks that didn't grow up with money, how that literally set them up to not be able to be successful in life. There's been a lot of talk about that in our society. But actually, when you look through the Holy Scripture, there is something much more powerful than money. Come on, somebody. Much more powerful than, uh, than having nice houses and cars. And that is a generational anointing or generational favor that you and I know God and our children know God and they serve the Lord and our grandchildren serve the Lord. Friend, I'll tell you, the greatest thing you could ever live in life is not to have to get your grandkids out of prison. Come on, somebody. This is So the God that we serve actually speaks about this. And let me show you in Psalms 103 and verse 17. He says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who what? Fear him. The Lord's love is with those who fear him. They're trying to get it for you. Psalms 103, verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. Say that with me. With their children's 
children. And he says, so the Lord says, listen, if you love me, then let me tell you what's going to happen. Not only will I take care of you, but my favor will rest upon your children's children. Are you tracking with me? And he continues on, but he gives a caveat to it. He says, with those who keep his, com- his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. And so what all throughout Scripture you'll find, and teach your children. You go through Proverbs. Uh, you see the, uh, the writer of Proverbs say, now listen to me, my son. Listen to my wisdom I want to give you. For I will keep you, these words of wisdom, this truth of wisdom, hang them around your neck, these nuggets of wisdom. Let them guide you, because what I'm going to teach you, I have learned from the Lord and from my daddy. Come on, somebody. And as a result, I want to pass them on to you. And he talks about things like all throughout Proverbs. Like, don't, see that woman sitting on the corner? Boy, don't go that way. Don't go hook up with the prostitute. She'll tell you all kinds of things. My husband's out of town, and I have, it's a time, I've got my room all fixed up, and I just need somebody to love on. He said, don't do it. I saw the ignorant kid do that. I saw that young man who had good p- potential, but he destroyed his life by doing that. Don't follow all those other. And he gives these, all throughout Proverbs, this book of Proverbs, all these wisdom nuggets about how to walk uprightly before the Lord and avoid the brokenness of this old broken world system and the demonic forces that are trying to pull you away. And so what we see throughout Scripture is a generational favor, uh, maybe a generational anointing, or maybe even you could say it like this, a generational power. And when you and I serve the Lord, and we teach our children to serve the Lord, and when they teach their children to serve the Lord, there is, if you will, there is a favor from God from generation to generation to generation. It's a supernatural concept that God has put in place. He calls it literally favor. Everybody say favor. You can say it again. Say favor. But what has happened over the years is if there is a favor from God because you serve the Lord and that favor then rests upon your children because you're teaching them his precepts and his ways, then guess what is also happening at the same time? There's a force of evil trying to destroy that connection, trying to destroy that favor, trying to destroy your divine connection with your children and your grandchildren to teach uh, teach them God's ways. And so there's kind of constantly be this attack against that. In fact, I can prove it to you just by way of what we see in statistical analysis. So when we talk about a biblical worldview, what that is is to passing, passing on or the understanding, excuse me, of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my life and I'm going to live my life based on what the Bible says. So I therefore have a biblical worldview. I don't cuss you out, not because I'm not mad. I don't cuss you out because the Bible says let no curse words come out of my mouth. I don't, I don't, I don't punch you in the face because you just cut me off in traffic and get out of the car and start punching and fighting you because the Bible tells me very clearly that I'm to forgive those who do evil against me. To pray for those who despitefully use me. And so I don't come up in work thinking I'm going to prove it to you and try to put, take you down after you've been manipulating and going around me to the boss and doing all these kinds of things. Just the opposite. The Bible tells me to pray for those who despitefully use me and abuse me. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. That, I live that way because it's in the Bible. I have a biblical worldview. I read the Bible and I then live it out. I take his precepts, his teachings, his ways, and I then live them out in my life. And as a result of that, I am proving to the Lord my God that he is my Lord and he corrects me and and, uh, directs me and I follow his ways. Therefore, I am a Christian, a follower of Christ. That's what a Christian is. And what we've had a problem with is we've taken wicked worldview and tried to bring that into Christianity. And then there's this, con- there's, there's this conflict back and forth. And we don't understand why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because you never died to self, came alive to Christ and said, Lord, you are my Lord. And I'll do whatever you say in the Holy Scriptures. I will follow you because your ways are higher than my ways. 
Your ways bring life, and your ways bring peace. And no matter all the other stuff you've been chasing after, how much peace do you have? It's been fun to watch in these last couple months, you know, these last you know, 15 or so months, to watch people who have been chasing after the world system and calling themselves Christian, to watch them literally lose their mind because they had no peace. I can go through hell on earth because I have peace because I know the one who holds me in the palm of his hand. I know what the end of the book has already said. I know where I'm going. I know how this whole thing works. So we can sing he's more than enough because his love is more than enough for me I don't need anything else he fulfills me are you tracking with me say yes and so it is my job it is my pleasure it is my enjoyment to teach that to the next generation to teach that to my own children and as a result of that to see the favor of God rest upon their lives because they embrace it are you tracking with me but over the years there have been such a demonic force to steal that handing off of a biblical worldview to, to the next generation to receive that biblical worldview that they learned from their parents, saw it, lived out, and saw the favor and the blessing. And there's been a demonic force attacking. Let me give you some statistics. Those who have a biblical worldview, when you start with the silent generation, 66% of the silent generation live their lives from a biblical worldview. 66% said, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to do it. From that generation. Dropping down to the next generation, they should have then handed that off to their children. But the only 35% of baby boomers live by a biblical worldview. But that's twice as much as Gen X, my generation, with only 17% of Gen Xers living with a biblical worldview. Therefore, 83% of Gen Xers do not do what the Word of God says, do not value life based on what the Word of God says. And then it's been dropping. Keep looking at it. And then you get down to millennials. With only millennials, only 4% of millennials living by a biblical worldview. May call themselves a Christian, may take the name tag and write it across their chest or their forehead, but do not live a biblical worldview. Do not live based on what the Bible says to do and how to live. They don't. And then now they're estimating that Gen Z is less than 1%. We see this has been broken. It has, it has been lost it is our job more than ever before to pass on the truths of God's ways to the next generation. It is, it, for those of us that call ourselves Christians, it is our job to teach our children and our grandchildren the ways of the Lord and get them a biblical worldview. Because when they have that, friend, the favor of God that's upon their life and the generational power that happens that mom and dad and, 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 and son and daughter and then grandkids are all serving God, that is a Christmas that you want to be at. I'm going to tell you that right now. That's a Thanksgiving. That's a phone call that you want to, you're not scared to get in the night when your kids are calling you because you know we're serving God together and the power therein to see a favor of God upon our entire family line. And I can say that, and I'll share a little bit of our story here in a, in a bit, but I want to take you to Matthew chapter 9. Would you turn there with me? And I want to look at a moment where a legacy decision was made. And it transformed the entire family of this man, Jairus. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, three of the four Gospels record this moment. I'm going to go with the one in Matthew that has less, less detail because I just want to get the storyline to you quick, uh, as quickly as I can. It says, and while Jesus was saying this, while Jesus was ministering, a, a ruler came and knelt. Now, the other Gospels identify the man as Jairus. Everybody say Jairus. And that he is a synagogue ruler. A synagogue ruler. And he came and he knelt before him. Everybody say knelt. All right, I want you to picture that. Who, who have you knelt before? Who have you gone to and said, got down on your knees? He said, well, I did that when I got engaged. 
All right, good job. But who, this is a huge, huge moment. The Bible just kind of runs through it because it's telling the storyline. But anyone in antiquity, anyone living in biblical times to hear this story is blown away that a synagogue ruler is kneeling before Jesus. And he comes and he kneels before him and he says, my daughter has just died. The other gospels actually recorded that she has been, he, he left her at the house thinking she was probably dead, but going to Jesus to get Jesus to come heal her. And continue on, but can't come and put your hand on her and she will live. Everybody say, she will live. So this man goes and bows down before Jesus. What is he? He is a synagogue ruler. He goes and he bows down before Jesus because he's in belief that he left the house and she was probably breathing her last breath, but he goes to get Jesus because he believes, according to his, his own statement, that if you will come and put your hands on her, she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. We'll skip down to verse 23. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, so she's already died, and what happens immediately in antiquity, uh, in Jewish uh, culture, when someone was to die, they would eat, immediately be get, get the text message, hey, I need all the professional flute players. I need all the professional mourners. Maybe you've seen this in other countries. Still, and, they'll, and they'll come, and, uh, and they may or may not know the family. They get paid, and a person like this is going to have a lot of them. And they're playing that solemn music. And people say, ah, ah. They're beating their chest, and Jesus walks into this scene. Look at what he does. He says, and he said, go away. He literally gets them all out of the house. This girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and he said to her, he literally, and she got up, and news of this spread throughout the whole region. The other gospels actually said, he called her, little girl, get up, and she comes back to life. And her parents are like, I mean, this little girl has just come back. To, she was dead, and she's alive, and the Bible records her at about 12 years of age. Now, I want to back this thing up and give you a little bit of understanding this man, Jairus, is a synagogue ruler. He is, he is by all accounts, he, he is, by all accounts, opposing this man, Jesus. Because the synagogue rulers are seeing Jesus as a fake Messiah. Because no one can come and claim to be God on earth. Uh, when the Messiah comes, it won't be like this. It'll be, their expectation was that he would rip open the clouds, show up and come, do away with the Romans and they all fall down dead. That's, their Ill that's what they have in their brain, that Jesus would set up his kingdom, the Messiah would set up his kingdom and he would rule. What Jesus came to do was not to break off the governmental rule, he was to break off the sin rule in, in humanity's life. There were two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God at war with each other. Jesus came and set up the kingdom of God and its rulership on the earth, destroying therefore the power of darkness. They thought, they, because they, brought, they thought in carnal ways, they thought that he would come and take down the ruling government of the times. He's like, I ain't worried about all that, I'm worried about the ruling government in your heart. I'm worried about the ruling the forces of evil over your life. I'm coming to break that. And so they didn't recognize him as Messiah. So then they opposed him because everyone else was saying, this could be the one. This could be the one. And so Jairus' job would have been on Sunday morning to preach against Jesus. He has preached sermons against him. He has talked bad about him. He is resisting. When people came, he said, uh, dear pastor, dear synagogue ruler, guess what? My cousin got healed by that dude named Jesus. And he's like, well, well, I'm going to have to validate that. I don't know. Let's look at that. This guy has been on opposing sides of who Jesus is. 
This would be like Tom Brady coming to play for the Dallas Cowboys. This is not, like, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. And yet he runs, he falls down on his knees, and he says to this Jesus, would you please come? He makes a conscious decision in this moment to lose his job. He gives up every bit. What's going to happen at this moment? The moment he does this, he's going to, listen, YouTube's going to ban him. All his socials are going to be canceled. He has, he has made a conscious decision to go play for the other team. The moment he bows down before Jesus and asks for his help, he is losing every bit of influence he's ever had. His job is over. He will not have an income source. He's going to have to go work field life or something like that. And he does all of that for two reasons. Number one, he loves his daughter. Everybody say amen. He loves his daughter. And number two, he actually, no matter what he's been preaching, no matter what he's been doing, in his heart of hearts, he knows this guy's got something else that no one else has. He must be the Messiah. And he falls down on his knees. And in that moment, can I explain to you what decision he made? He made a legacy decision. By bowing his knee before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he made a legacy decision. That one moment, it cost him everything. He lost his job. He lost his influence. But what he gained was a family unit that now had the favor of God on it. Because once that 12-year, listen, the Bible says she is the only daughter he has, which insinuates that he's got other children. So he must have a couple other sons. Can I just help you think about this for a moment? This man is a preacher of Judaism. He has been talking about how good God is all his life. His kids are PKs. They're pastor's kids. Jesus comes along and says, hey, listen, I appreciate all of your rules and regulations, but you don't have a real relationship with the living God. Follow me. Come to me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jairus has been rejecting that. And now, all of a sudden, his daughter is dead. And so he goes to the Messiah, gets down on his knees, makes a legacy decision. Let me tell you what happens if he doesn't do that. That little girl dies. Her brothers then go, hey dad, your religion is worthless. That my own little, my my sister could not be healed by your God means that your God's not the real God. Imagine the bitterness that sits in the heart of that pastor's wife, that her daughter is dead. Imagine all of the grandkids that are going to come after who will only know dead religion and not know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When he makes this decision and he comes and he gets down on his knees before the one, the one true God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he says, would you please come with me and heal my daughter? He knows he's given up popularity. He knows he's given up position. He, does, he makes that decision because he's making a legacy decision. He's not doing this for his now moment. He's doing this for his children's, 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 children. I don't think you understand. And he will bless us from our children to our children to our children. He will favor us in a generational anointing, but it takes legacy decisions for every one of us to have to make and he makes a legacy decision when he makes the decision he gets down on his face Jesus comes with him he heals that daughter can I tell you something that little girl grew up did she not say yes that little girl grew up guess what she did she got married everybody say yes and guess what she that she did when she got married she had kids everybody say yes and what did she teach her kids let me tell you something baby boy I know you think that that girl over there is what you want to hook up with but let me tell you something mama was 12 years old And something came on me, and nobody could fix me. The doctors couldn't fix me. Grandpa's money didn't have anything to do with it. They brought all the little stuff around. They came chanted all around me, and nothing fixed me. 
until my daddy went and did what daddy needed to do. He got on his face between, before the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the king of kings and the lord of lords came and found me. I was in a dark place. I had already died and there was darkness all around me. And all of a sudden I heard him say, little girl, little girl. And Jesus came into my life, baby boy. And let me tell you what he did. I came back to life and I'm staring with the king of kings and the lord. God himself is in my bedroom changing my life, bringing me back to life after I had been dead. And so don't you dare go down that, that path. I will knock you into one side of Sunday if you do go chase after that. How dare you after what God has done for us and who we are. You would not be here if Jesus would not have raised me from the dead. Are you with me? The, and teaching them to obey his ways. And because of that, for all we know, for all you know, you might have a little bit of Jewish blood back there. You, that, this could be your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother for all you know. Because none of us know where we're really from. We're all blended in this thing. You have no idea who this is connected to and why you're here today because of a decision that this woman made, because of what her daddy made, because Jesus came in on the scene. See, I'm not just serving God for myself. I'm serving God for my children and for my grandchildren. I don't go mess around with other women because, because I, 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 you know, I can't enjoy the pleasure of the things of this life. I don't do that because, first off, it's sin against my wife, and then it's sin against my God. But it's also an opportunity for my children to see a daddy who served the Lord all his days. And that has given them an opportunity. That gives them a leg up, if you will, because the favor of God coming through me because of my righteous decisions upon their life, and if they'll make righteous decisions upon their children's life, do you see the power of a generational anointing as we serve God together? Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And every demon in hell is trying to destroy it. Every demon in hell. Don't want your kids to serve God. Don't want your, grand your parents to serve the Lord. Your grandparents serve the Lord. There is an anointing when we as a family, when the McCains serve God together. Can I just say, I just want to show, show you how this worked. So my wife's grandmother lost her husband at 50 years old. Had every right to be bitter at God, but refused to. Made a legacy decision. And kept bringing her three kids to church. Kept bringing their families to church. And I'll tell you right now, Granny would just work you over every time I go visit Granny. Now, Adam, now what you been preaching on? Mm -hmm. Now, what about the missionaries? Do you support missionaries? Yes, ma'am, granny. Yes, ma'am, granny. Yes, ma'am, granny. Like, my goodness, this woman working me over. She served the Lord, taught her kids to serve the Lord. And so KK, my mother-in-law, served the Lord from a young age. She got married to the guy who was the worship leader at the youth camp that she went to. That guy made a legacy decision. He didn't want to serve the Lord anymore and literally walked away from my mother-in-law. She had to break it off with him because he, he began to live a crazy life. She then met another man who had not been a Christian, Danny Avent. Danny became a Christian, got radically saved, loved God. They came together. So my, 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 my wife, their daughter, had an opportunity. One family member living this way, another family living, member living this way. But when she saw the legacy decisions that Granny made and the legacy decisions that her mama made, and when she, the legacy decisions to serve God and follow his precepts, that then became a part of who she is. And so now she, a woman of God, serving God, making decisions for her children. So my daughters are serving the Lord and looking for men that will serve, that will serve the Lord with them and not chasing after the dudes who are the most popular. So the legacy anointing, do you understand? So, so, so my natural father, Papa's not my natural dad. My natural father had nothing to do with me, abandoned my mom once he got her pregnant at 16 years of age. 
My, my, my grandmother, talk about this, my grandmother, my grandfather abandoned her. She was a good Sunday school teacher at the Baptist church. He abandoned her, ran off with another woman. My grandmother became bitter. That bitterness, she said, up years, God, up every Christian, they're all fake. I'm not ever going to church again, da 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 I came into this world with a bitter grandmother and a mom who didn't know God anymore because mom, because, because grandma, uh, mom and dad split up, and so, and so she didn't go to church anymore. Dad's living with his other family, and here's this 16, 17-year-old girl just trying to figure it out. She doesn't serve the Lord anymore. She doesn't know it because of legacy decisions that the people, her family made. Are you tracking with me? And started down that, down that path. Oh, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords came into my mama's life. And she said, baby boy, let's serve God together. And so she then married a man who didn't, well, she, started, she was dating a guy who didn't know God, Mike McCain. He saw the transformation in my mama and in me. And he said, I want that same transformation. He got saved, made a legacy decision. Jesus, if you'll just come with me, if you'll just let me be a part of this whole thing that you're doing. We became a family. Are you tracking with me? And so he took the blended brokenness of all of our lives. And because I made, we made legacy decisions, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. I'm going to read this Bible. I'm going to live it out. So now I have a chil children that have never seen their daddy cuss their mama, never beat on their mama, never been in a drunken stupor, never did drugs, all because, come on somebody, my mama made a legacy decision. Her boyfriend got saved, made a legacy decision. We made it together, and now my children have an opportunity to walk in the things of God in a favor upon me that is extended to them. My daughter, everywhere she goes, favor just follows her. They gave her scholarships to go to school. They pay her to go to school. Jamie and I couldn't even afford to go to school. We went to little Bible schools, and that was it. We, uh, the favor of God that's on my children, not because I'm such a good dude, because I made legacy decisions, because my mama made legacy decisions. Are you tracking with me? And as a result, that favor is coming. That the, he said from generation to generation. This is the beauty of serving God together as a family. And we've seen it. It's been attacked. The silent generation, 66% of them. Then dropping down to 37% of the boomers really serving God and living, for the, living a biblical worldview. And then dropping down 17% Gen Xers to 4% millennials. Something's got lost in the passing down. And as a result, the enemy has stolen. So listen to me, young person. Stop letting the enemy steal the favor that's supposed to be on your life because you don't like the way your mom and dad approach it. Because you don't understand. You, have, you and I have to learn. God sees family units as beautiful and special, and he favors right on down through that family line. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. yes. Oh, you're not tracking with me. Say yes. yes. So what I did was I grabbed some of our young people. They were having Wednesday night youth service, and I just started grabbing them. Say, come with me. And they're like, oh, okay, Pastor. And I set them down, and I said, I want to ask you some questions. Just tell us a little bit how you see it. And the question that I asked them that I want to play for you today is, so what can we as moms and dads do better to help you serve God. What can, we, what can we do better? What can we do better for the younger generation? And, uh, and I opened up and I said, now listen, not your family, because your family's perfect, but what can other families do? And so play video for them just a little bit now. <laughs> not your family, because your family's amazing, but other families, what's one of the things they could do better at uh, in helping them grow in their faith and keeping them safe? I think probably having trust in your kid in the sense of not to where you're letting them do whatever they want or let them, you know, uh, do what they want on social media or anything like that. I say trust in, hey, you know, at some point your kid needs to grow, right? 
And if you're so focused on keeping them in and keeping them shelter, keeping them safe, right, there'll be no room to grow. Yeah, they'll yeah. have no room for mistakes or they won't be able to fault because you're keeping them in. Just listening more is a really big part. Like when, when they tell you, like when a child tells you they're going through something, like don't just dismiss it. Like they're not lying. Most of the time they're not saying it for no reason. Like if they say they're having issues or um, they're dealing with something, like just listen, try to help. I mean, I definitely feel that some of the communication with the parents is like the parents and really other adults around you because sometimes your parents just won't listen to you and sometimes you won't have like good Christian parents and when you don't have good Christian parents the best thing I would say is like the for other adults to approach you and to spend more time with you. I personally don't think you know you should be like oh you can't go to youth group because you're grounded you know and but a lot of things just like hey you know how you doing today let's pray about this. And I think um being there for them is really helpful. Like, not being all weird and like checking them like from far away on their social media or not like, hey, tell me everything that's wrong. Like, just having like a relationship with them, like spending time with them, being their friend, doing stuff together. You know, then they feel like you're someone in my life that is there. I feel like I can talk to you. Trust between different people and especially between adults and children. Uh, it's not in the big, oh, I saved your life kind of things. It's in gradually building up those small moments, yeah, those right. little things. Over time, over the course of several years, really, is what it takes. Our parents and your siblings and all that, those are the most important people in your life. Like, you can have friends, that's cool. But, like, they're the most important people in your life. And if you don't have them to show you how to walk with Christ, you don't have them to, like, be there when you feel as though you're sinning and all that type of things. Like, you're not, you're, you're just not going to want to be with Christ anymore. I, I think just telling, you know, a kid or a teen, like, hey, you know, I'm here for you. If there's anything you need to tell me, just go on and tell me. Without being all weird about it, they can just be like, I'd love to have a conversation with you about this. And really try to have a conversation with them, like, more articulate. So yeah. that that way they can feel like, okay, this guy's treating me like an adult. This is how we're talking. Yeah. But still setting the bar of, hey. You're still a kid, and I'm trying to teach you and bring you up. Yeah, come on, give it up for our young people. So good. So I want to give you, write these down. I want to give you three areas, fundamental areas, as a family, you need to fight for and protect that the enemy's after. Write these down. These will save you. These will help you. And you can go out and, and, and kind of build upon it. As, as the Lord helps you. But here's the, here's the three areas. Well, let me just say it like this. I, I hate to even mention this man's name, but there's a man who is, has won uh, seven national college collegiate championships in football <clears throat> named Nick Saban. <clears throat> Boo, thank you. And uh, he is my, he is our, my team is LSU and he's for Alabama and uh, he is our arch rival. And so, but you cannot deny seven championships. I saw an interview with him late uh, the other day, and he talked about the fundamentals. But think about this. Because he's won seven championships and because he's put a lot of dudes in the NFL, every kid coming up wants to play for him. See this generational, if you will, favor, this power of being... Uh, of, uh, so, so really, the world will come to Christ when they see that your children and your grandchildren love Jesus like you do. And so there are, there are three found fundamental pieces that I think 
that you and I need to really protect and fight for. Write these down. Number one, in our family, number one, communication. Communication. You and I need to fight for that. In the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, what did Satan do? He, he, he manipulated the communication. Did God really say that? Did God really say not to touch the tree? Well, well yeah, I think so. <laughs> he didn't really. Satan's always trying to confuse the communication. He's always trying to steal the communication. Communication's much more than just you lecturing your children. Come on, somebody. It's much more than you just yelling back at your parents because they don't, they don't give you the attention that you feel like you need or the respect that you feel like. It's much communication has everything to do about listening and watching and engaging properly. Are you with me? Say yes. See, more listening and less assuming. James 1.19. My dear brothers, take note to this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I would say to moms and dads and grandparents, I think we dismiss the younger generation's difficulties because we think they're sissies. Like, just grow up. What's wrong with you? In my day, you know, I think, I think we, we become them. We've started doing that. I, I think we make assumptions. I think younger generation, I think with your moms and dads and your grandparents, you make assumptions that they don't know anything because they don't know how to work their iPhone the way you do. And so you're making assumptions, and that's why your communication is broke down, and that's why you don't, have this, you don't have this divine connection you're supposed to have, because every demon in hell is trying to keep you from having divine communication, by having a because relationship is built on communication. Wouldn't everybody agree with that? Say yes. And, and that's why we pray. I want a relationship with my God. I'm, de I'm developing a relationship through communication. He's communicating to me through his word, through his Holy Spirit. I'm communicating back to him. There's this communication that builds the relationship or either destroys the relationship, the lack thereof. And I would just give you a couple pieces of advice. Ask each other questions. Younger generation, why don't, why don't you ask mom and dad, so tell me what it was like when you, when you, were, when you were single. What was it like, you, what was the biggest thing you dealt with as a teenager? Well, I didn't really know God. Okay, well, how did you respond to that? What, how did you live? Show me the error of your ways. Help me. Well, yeah, you know, I just don't want to talk about it. Well, that's your problem. They need you to talk about it. They need us to engage. You need to ask them, so what's the most difficult thing you're dealing with at school right now? How is God using that? Or, do you hear God's voice? I'm constantly asking my kids, what's God saying to you? I'm, not, I'm a preacher. I could be easily going, God's saying this to you. But I've learned over the years, ask them, what's God saying? I've learned more from them than they've ever learned from me. Because I've been wise enough to ask. Because guess where I learned that from? My mama. My mama would ask me, well, Adam, what's God saying about that? I don't forget one time, I was probably eighth grader. Eighth grader, they dumped me in a Christian school because that was going to fix me. Put me in a Christian school. And I was probably about nine months into this thing, and my goodness, I'm telling you, they sent me to the office, and I got licks. In those days, they could whoop you. <clears throat> and I was so mad, and I came home, and here I am, 13, 14 years old. I came home, and I am throwing a fit, and I'll never forget what my mama said. She said, listen to me. I believe that you wouldn't lie to me, and you say you didn't do it. You say that you didn't do what they accused you of and that you got licks for, and, you know, cutting up in class and something like that. She said, but let me ask you a question. How many times a day are you the one doing that and have not got caught? And I said, <laughs> and so, Adam, what if, and this is probably what's going on with you, buddy, you now have a reputation as a kid acting a fool. 
So some, the teacher's writing on the board, something crazy happens. She turns around, you're laughing, she just sends you to the, to the principal's office. Is that not what happened? I said, yeah, probably. She said, see, you have a reputation of being an idiot. And I said, well, well but I'm not. Yeah, but you're always acting a fool, aren't you? Yeah, but it's funny. <laughs> well, great. Then you're going to keep getting licks until they drive that out of you. And I said, well, what should I do? And she said, then you should go to the teacher. Tell her you're sorry. Yeah, but I didn't do nothing wrong. Tell her you're sorry for how you've gotten a reputation with her because you're always doing something stupid. And then ask her what she would have you do. I had a choice. I had a legacy decision to make. Am I going to do that or I'm going to be the arrogant kid who says, no, whatever. See, some of you are still living out your arrogant decisions from high school and junior high. Now as an adult, and you don't understand why your kids are living this way. Well, because you never said you were sorry back here. Because you always have to be right. And you still having to be right at work. And so that's why you're going from job to job to job. Anyway, and so, and so, so I had a choice. I'll never forget that. I'm looking at that teacher and I, I just decide. I felt God. Because I love God. And I wanted to be right. It was a legacy decision. I went and grabbed that teacher after class. I said, listen, I, I want you to know I did not do what you got started. I still was arrogant somewhat. I said, I didn't do what you sent me to the office for. But you know what? I probably have done that more times, and you didn't catch me. And so my mom says, I probably got a reputation with you, and, she, and you think that I'm always acting a fool. And I want to change that. What can I do? She said, okay, sit in the front of the classroom every, every class. With the nerds? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yes, yeah, sit up front, right, right, right where I'm standing. Sit right in front of me. I said, "Oh, dear Jesus, this cannot another legacy opportunity." <laughs> Next class, I did it. I sat right there. Can I tell you something? That grade went from a CD to an A in that class. Yep. My reputation changed amongst the teachers, and I became one. Of the, I still was crazy, <laughs> but they had more grace on me. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? Because I went and I humbled myself. Are you, are you, are you tracking? Yes. My mama had a good enough sense to learn how to communicate to me, not just blame me, not just dismiss me. Come on, somebody. It was a real problem. She trusted that I, I was telling the truth. She didn't think that I was a liar. And she told me that I don't think you would lie to me, but that's between you and Jesus. Because you love God, right? Yes, ma'am, I love God. Okay. Well, then this is what, I, what I'm telling you you need to do. And I listened to it. That communication and that moment in eighth grade has been a part of the legacy that my children have inherited because I made legacy decisions. Are you track Every time you don't cuss somebody out on the highway, you're making a legacy decision for your children. Every time you get your kids in the living room and say, Mom and Dad are struggling to figure out what to do. You know, we got your, you got your stepbrothers over here. We got baby mama drama with, with my ex-wife, and we don't know what to do. We're going to pray. Would you help us pray? Would you pray and give us and ask God to show us some things? <laughs> Communication together. Your older brother's acting a fool. He's off at college. And he doesn't want to serve God. Would you help us pray? I, we, we've done our best, but maybe we've missed something. So would you come pray with us and let's figure out, let's ask God to do a miracle in your older brother's life. Incorporating them into this family favor that's upon us. As, are you tracking? It doesn't matter how blended your family are. So we got 16 generations, uh, 16 divorces blended together. Praise the Lord. That is still your family. And there's a generational anointing on it as we serve God together. You still tracking with me? Say yes. I got to move real fast. Number two, here's the second thing you've got to learn to protect. Fight for it with your children and your grandchildren. And that is love. Love. I know that sounds real simple. And it sounds real almost, you know, you know, ethereal. But I'm talking about love. I'm, I'm talking about the kind of love that when you look at them, even though you want, listen, Jamie and I have been married 28 years. That woman loves me. 
She's got plenty of stories why not to love me. She's made choices to love. Are you tracking? That's what love is. Teach your children to love even though they may not feel like you're deserving of it. Even though there may have been some things that have transpired. Learn to love. Love anyway. Love covers over a multitude of sins. The scripture teaches us where all these powerful gifts, prophecies, and all these wonderful things. He said, the Bible literally says, those will whisk away, but love never fails. Love never fails. To love is a choice. I make a decision to love you. You make a decision to love me as your pastor. You make a decision to love your children. Children make a decision to love mom and dad, even in their imperfections. Because no one on this planet, save Jesus Christ, is perfect. And so loving is a choice that you and I make with imperfect people. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You've got bitter roots because you've not known how to love. And so we got to go to those things and say, listen, listen, buddy, I know. I, I, I've, got, I've got a spiritual son who, does not, who cannot stand the mention of his God, his, his Christian dad. Because when they were playing basketball one time at 16 years of age, they got into, you know, the male thing and pushing and shoving. And, 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 he, and he elbowed his dad in the face to try to make, to, make, to make a shot. And his dad pinned him against the fence and popped him in the face a couple of times. And that was it. That kid has a bitter root towards his daddy ever since then. And that dad knows about it and has never come and got down on his knees and said, son, I blew it. I lost my mind. I'm your daddy. I should have never done that. They have no communication. Godly people. These are godly. These are Christians. I'm not talking about lost people. These are Christians. But let that bitterness get in there. No one's identified it. And so mama's trying to make it all smoothed over at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Never happened. Why? Because that bitter root has gotten in. Parents, you ha- listen, listen to me, young person. Parents have to correct you. Stop being stupid. Just receive it. You're like, I don't tell me, and they don't understand. Listen, you, you love your parents enough to say, you can correct me. It's okay, you can correct me. I want your correction. Parents, love them enough to correct them. And say, listen, this is going to kill you. Don't do that. Learn how to do that. Learn to communicate that well. Sit down and say, how can I correct you? Because you're acting like a knothead. You're 16 years old. You think you know everything, and you don't. And it's my job as your parent to bring correction and to help you. That's what God told me to do. So won't you tell me how we can do that better? Because every time I try, you throw your, your hands up in the air, go lock yourself in your bedroom, and start tweeting out about how bad I am. I don't really care if you like me or not, but you're going to love me because I love you. I don't expect you to like me right now because you don't like discipline. None of us do. But just like I don't like when God disciplines me, I still receive it because I know he disciplines those he, boom. Here's the third thing. Quickly, quickly, we got to move. And this is the third area you've got to fight for and protect, and that is respect. Respect. When it says to the uh, younger folks in the scripture, it says, children, honor your father and mother. Respect them. But here's the breakdown. To expect children to honor mom and dad, but to expect mom and dad not to honor children is a breakdown. It's assumed that children are honored by their parents. The parents honor their children, that they're valued. Because in Jewish culture, you are the heirs. I'm doing everything for you. I am working this farm so that you have an inheritance. I am showing you the ways of God so that you don't become a part of the pagans. I'm sitting around this campfire with all the stories of Moses crossing the Red Sea, and I'm sharing these with you so that you will know the God that saved our people. And that respect of showing you these things and loving you and not leaving you to yourself to figure it out. You were leaving these young people to figure it out by, by, by some, some way on the internet. And guess who's out there trying to help them figure it out? 
That's why we're going from 66 to 37 biblical worldview to 17 to 4, now 1%. Because someone else has respected them more to figure out how to communicate to them, to teach them the, things of, uh, uh, the ways of the world. And we've lost them. So it's time to turn that thing around. We've got to fight for communication. We've got to fight for love amongst our children and our grandchildren, amongst our moms and dads. We've got to fight for it. Young per person, don't put it all on them. Grow up a little bit. Help us. Start respecting a little bit. See, my daddy don't deserve my respect. He did this, this, and this. Shut your face. He doesn't deserve your respect because he's a human on the planet. And he's your dad, whether you like it or not. May be imperfect, may not have it all together, but he's your dad. And he's doing his best with his world. And yes, maybe he needs to serve God better. And maybe he needs to stop being a little bit hypocritical. But disrespecting it hasn't moved him one inch closer to Jesus. So showing respect, I have learned, has helped people get closer to Jesus. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Stand with me.